Yo, it's time to rock. Welcome to Creative Block. We're your hosts, Gene. And V. We interview people in the animation industry about their life, work, and hobbies while we do Dolce Am. We asked people on Twitter if they had specific topics they wanted us to discuss, as well as some drawing prompts. And today with us, we have Brandon. I don't know how to say your last name. I'm very sorry. It's Huang. Uh, Huang. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Did you like my rap? Uh, yeah, I was, I, you know, I was going to totally roast you if I didn't get that intro. I know. Some good intro. I know. I couldn't. I I couldn't do the scatting again. I know you requested the scatting. But... I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to follow in someone else's footsteps. No, you want your own custom rap. It was great, Gene. It was great. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, I'm Brandon Huang, and I am a writer. It's weird to say that. It really. I hesitated a little bit before I said writer. You're a writer. Oh, yeah. Writer. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a real writer. I'm a real boy. You're a real boy. How long have you been a writer for? Professionally, two years. <laughs> oh, yeah, two years and still you're hesitating. It's, you're a baby. It's, it's kind of weird when you start off writing because I used to write when I was doing my day job. I would do it at night. So, mm -hmm, right. like, when are you really a writer? Are you a writer then or are you a writer when you get your first paycheck? I know. I mean, are you not an, are you not an artist when you're drawing, you know? Right. I don't know. It's a weird question. So, I mean, I guess I, I got my first, my first big boy writer paycheck probably around two years ago. Ooh, exciting. Cool. But before that, you were an executive for many years. Yeah, I was an executive, current series animation executive for 10 years. Wow. Oh, wow. 10 years. A little over 10 years. That's a crazy uh, backstory. Um, and that's not something that I personally see very often where somebody goes from being a network executive to going into the sort of creative side of things. So we are going to ask you about that, but let's rewind it back. Let's talk about like your childhood and like sort of what got you interested in, uh, you know, animation and just writing in general and telling stories and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, I grew up in a suburb of Portland, Oregon called Vancouver, Washington, which actually is a pretty big city. You know, I uh, definitely was, I was just was watching consumed way too much, way too much TV, a lot of, yeah. uh, a lot of animation, a lot of cartoons. And I remember just being in, falling in love with just watching, like watching animation and being like, how are people drawing these things and these drawings move? I was just right. so fascinated with yeah. that whole process. I could not believe it. And actually when I was, I remember this, when I was a kid, they, and I, 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 and the episode would end and I knew that there'd be another one the next day. I was like, whoa, how are they drawing that fast to make a new- <laughs> Hey, Brandon, I think there's still some people that think that. <laughs> Honestly, though, I like that you knew people were drawing these cartoons because I did yeah, not. At least it wasn't a computer. Yeah, <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? This is crazy. So, yeah, watched a lot of cartoons. Uh, and then I also was, re I was a big reader, too. I read a, a ton of books. For those that uh, are familiar with the Pacific Northwest, there's a little bookstore called Powell's, which I think is, uh, you might want to fact check me on that, but I think it's the biggest bookstore in the U.S., I think I've been there and I think you're right, but yeah. And uh, I used to go there on weekends with my dad and I'd go and he'd just let me loose. And I would just pick out, you know, wander those aisles for hours, picking out books, you know, anything I wanted, really. Uh, go to libraries and fill up grocery bags full of books, take those home, devour those. And I, again, just the same, kind of the same thing. Like I just would love not only reading the words, but also pictures are beautiful and like so the variety of stuff you can get from so many different picture books and and stuff i was I just was like how can i do this i want to be an artist someday mm -hmm. 
uh, and I remember I, was, I remember my dad. Uh, I remember after watching like. I was also fascinated with like Roger Rabbit, right? When the movie came out and I was like, what, this is, this is the, my mind's going crazy. This is right, right. And I remember I told my dad, I was, I was like, I want to, I want to draw, I want to draw uh, or write someday. And he's like, there's no money in that. So yeah. don't do it. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, you're going to be a doctor or lawyer or an engineer. And it's the, it's the cliche, yeah. it's the cliche Asian kid upbringing. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's no money. I, I can't make money. What if I was a writer? And he's like, no, people don't make money doing that. I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, he's like, that's a hobby. Drawing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Writing, that's hobby. You don't mm-hmm. do that for a real job. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then, but then like, there's that part of me that I like to prove people wrong all the time. So <laughs> I take that down. I relate. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. So that was like, kind of like, I mean, that was like my real big, kind of like my intro to just to art, uh, especially in animation. And I was a big video game player too. I played a ton of video games, same thing. Like love, just love consuming the art. Like so, I knew someone had to be drawing those things. Someone had to be doing those drawings. Someone had to be writing those stories. And I was just always fascinated with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, what, did you do any kind of like story creating when you were in school and high school or in college? Cause uh, like, what was your college education as well? Yeah, I, oh, oh man, I used to, um, uh, I remember, I think it was the first thing that I, that got me into writing was uh, when my dad brought home a PC, a, 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 the home PC. And he was like, here's a program where you can actually, I remember like, a, oh man, ah. you know, MS Paint and, yeah. um, I remember MS Paint. I think it used to be like you drew by the um, by the pixel. You drew by like by the square. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. So I used to spend hours and hours and hours like zooming in, zooming out, zooming in, zooming out. You know, like uh, drawing on that, making pictures. And then I remember he was like, "Oh, here's a word program," and I was like, "You can write." And I used to like mm-hmm. sit and write. I remember I did this. I still have them. They're like it's basically a ripoff of Ghostbusters, but I just called it Ghost Chasers. <laughs> oh man. How old yeah. were you when you were like uh, drawing and writing all these? What, how old, how old was I? Yeah. Probably third grade, third grade, fourth grade. That's great. I would, yeah, and I would, I, I, dr- I would draw these stories, print them out on, comp- print them out on like a, on the computer. And then I'd sell them around the neighborhood for like a, like, I'm, it's, it's oh like, man, you were hustling. I was hustling. And I was oh, like, wow. oh man, like how like cringy is it to look back at it now and be like, these neighbors, like they don't want to, someone's ringing their doorbell. Like those well, that's not cringy stories. Like this is embarrassing. My mom should not, my mom should have stopped me from doing that. I think it's great though. I feel like this is something that I've read from like interviews of comic artists, like that they would like draw and like go to like the copy machine and just like copy basically like tens or like twenties of those and like hand them out at school. Would you like um, show your friends at school? Uh, I used to like, yeah, I, I'd feature my friends in school. And I used to also, um, I used to do hand, uh, I used to hand draw and write Valentine's, which was a pain in the ass oh. for like a, a class of like 30 kids. Damn. And I do individual ones for like each kid. I'm like, okay, this kid's, this girl's a cat girl. I'm gonna draw a, <laughs> wow. like a cat pun. And like, so I know sweet. he likes Batman, like stuff like that. <gasps> That's what? really nice. You're, pro- you're probably popular then. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I, <laughs> no, I was. <laughs> like, they're like, oh, here's this weird, like, you can get me the, you know, store-bought Valentine. You got to hand draw yours. Like, I don't know. Do kids really appreciate that? I don't know. I don't know. That's nice. Still nice. But yeah, I used to draw, I used to write these stories and I used to, um, I mean, you guys know too. I'm sure you guys are the same thing. I used to get notebooks for Christmas and I'd never drawn them because it was precious commodity, right? Yeah. You don't draw them. Yeah. So I'd drawn the back of these big, big, um, my mom would bring home boxes of computer, computer paper 
not like fresh new, but like used from her job. Sure. And I draw on the back of those. I've heard that before from people too. I I have like literally lived this yeah. life, Brandon. What is happening? No, right maybe we now? all share this. Like... Maybe this is like. A... <laughs> I think that that's common. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. It's like my dad worked in an office too, and uh, yeah, like there's so much paper that they would burn through in in the '90s. <laughs> just like so, they would just bring it home sometimes. But the thing, like the whole idea that like paper is precious, I don't know. Like yeah. you know, like you don't get to draw on the paper that is blank on both. Yeah. Not only paper, not only paper, but like getting, I remember getting markers were like my favorite thing to get for a gift. You get like the basic Crayola markers and then you get oh, like, yeah. the, like the, the, the forest flavor, right? Like the, the, the ras the dark raspberry and the, <laughs> like, oh my yeah. God, this is like, this is gold, gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's really funny. I hated those markers. <laughs> like the ones like the the ones that you would get from like your aunt and it was like some knockoff brand and they would dry out after like, like Rosewell or something. Rose Yeah, yeah, like Rosewell. And it's like I, I think I still have drawers full of like shitty markers back in my parents' house that I will never used and will never use and they're probably like dried out to hell at this point. So good, so good. Um so uh from there, like what did you go to school for? Oh, um, so I went to the University of Washington in Seattle, and I was as I went there without really knowing what I wanted to do. Uh, I, and I, I was always fascinated with sociology, so I was like, I'm gonna just do that. Like, is there any math involved with this? No. Okay, I'm gonna do this. Uh, so I was a sociology major, and then uh, my first internship was at uh, Leica Studios. Oh, cool! It was just starting out. Will Vinton, right? Will Vinton, stop motion stop-motion artist who did the California Raisins. I was cool. there right when Leica was buying out that studio. So I was actually there when they were scraping his name off of the doors. Oh, man. Oh, wow. Okay. And at that time, uh, Henry Selleck, they brought in Henry Selleck to do an experimental short just to kind of test out their the studio's chops. And he did a short called Moon Girl. And that was my first internship. I was pinning boards for Henry Selleck. Okay. Yeah, that's really cool. That's a hell of an internship. Wow. And how old were you at that time? What's that? How old were you? Oh, that was, uh, I was, I was in college. I think I was a senior in college when that happened. So uh, when that, so I did that and then um, I moved to Los Angeles and it was like kind of like that, uh, the height of, I knew I was gonna move to LA. I was like, I wanna be in the entertainment business doing something, I don't know what yet. And I moved to LA and I, it was like the height of the recession. So there were like no jobs, no internships. Um, I had to lie my way in just to get an internship at Paramount Studios. Uh, which mm. was one of the only studios that was that were doing paid internships. I got paid like nine dollars an hour. Yeah, that that is actually really hard to find uh, to work. I lied. I totally lied my way in. I because you had to have. They were paying you, but they also required you to have college credit. Mm. So, and I had already graduated. So I emailed a professor of mine. I was like, "Can you just send me the paperwork for internships and sign it, just to say I'm doing <laughs> this internship?" And he was like, "Yeah, of course, I'll do that for you." So did that for me. Applied, I got in, got the internship. You know, I was in the, um, I was in an old dusty office on the Paramount lot in the story department, which they were, uh, our job was to organize, distribute, and basically were the library for coverage for, for projects that were coming in. Mm -hmm. And um, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was no job. So I was there for a year. I was there, I was, I was uh, doing restaurant work. I was a, a waiter. Mm. I was a waiter and doing the, the internship at the same time. Ooh. Do you feel like being a waiter was 
a good experience for you to kind of like gather stories like I don't know to like pay attention to people yeah that's a great that's a great question um maybe I don't consciously I've never thought about that before until you asked me answering me asked me this question just now mm-hmm. really huh I never thought about it like that really um I loved I loved actually I loved waiting I thought it was it was hard work but I loved talking to people it was just you just met crazy people all the time it was oh yeah totally. <laughs> I can I can't imagine the kind of crazy people. It was yeah. Um, it it was, but it was so much fun. And it was- where were you um, waiting like at? Like what? Like uh, what restaurant? Like what area of LA? Yeah, it was uh, in the heart of uh, downtown. Actually, I got my oh, first wow. waiting job because my roommate and I were both we were both trying to get jobs, any kind of job, and we both were walking around town together submitting our resumes and the guy the owner of the restaurant or the manager the hiring manager of the restaurant hired us because that we were a cute gay couple oh right my first like restaurant gig and i was like yes all right sweet i'll take it (laughs) uh it was called schwab's it was on the corner of sunset and vine no longer there Mm -hmm. and then i worked at another restaurant called magnolia which was right next to nick on sunset same block oh that doesn't exist there anymore either. Yeah, rest in peace, Nick on Sunset. Okay, I was like thinking, like I don't think I've ever seen that restaurant. <laughs> but yeah, it's not there anymore, but it was uh, it was awesome. But I used to, um, so I used to do my internship at Paramount, the Paramount lot, change clothes, drive over to the restaurant, and work there until like eleven thirty, then start the day over again. It was brutal, but wait, damn. Uh, hold on a second. So like your day started at what time? I used to start at nine o'clock at the Paramount lot, and I lived in walk. Okay. My apartment was walking distance, so I used to just walk to the lot do my internship, come back home, get in the car, drive over to the restaurant, work there, and then come back home at night. Oh, yeah. So that's like a whole, yeah, like your whole day was just like, yeah, uh, like running all over the place. <laughs> that's hectic. But yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it, I mean, it's something you can only do in your 20s when you have that. Yeah, yeah. I miss those days when you could wake up hungover and be like, all right, I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I feel you. <laughs> I, man, I... It's funny to think about that. Like when I was in college, I would, I didn't like my school was like maybe 15 minutes from home from uh, my parents' place where I was living. And uh, I would organize my schedule where I would get like basically cram all my classes into Monday to Thursday. But then I, and I also worked in the school. I worked like in the equipment cage. So it's like I, my whole life was in that building. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would, yeah, my classes would start at like eight. So I would wake up like early as hell, go to class. And then I would have four classes in a row with like, you know, a lunch break in between or whatever. But so I would do all those four classes. And then at the end of the night, like go over to my friend's place and like hang out, play video games and like party. And we would stay up until like 2 a.m. or something. I would drive home, go to sleep and then wake up and do it all again. And somehow like I was never that tired. Like I think I was just running on pure adrenaline. Yeah, of course. And and also I was like 19. I think I was like, I graduated before I was even 21. Cause I like did summer classes and shit. And uh, so yeah, that's just like pure teenage, like adrenaline of just not giving a shit. That's when you got to do it. I wish I could, yeah, man, I wish I could have that same, same energy there. But I would say, I should also say this is that I was watching, you know, I was still a big animation fan during that entire time. And the more I was doing that internship, the more I was like, okay, I want to do get into video games or get an animation. How do I do that? Right. And they were like, oh, video games. Well, the people that write video games are programming it. So I was like, oh, well, okay, I guess I'm not going to do video games. That's going to be out. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do animation. And I was like, but I don't, I'm not an artist and I'm too scared to, um, I'm too scared to do a, to try writing. I mean, you just hear the horror stories about people scraping by trying to get that next gig. And I was like, I don't have the, I can't do that right now. I'm in my twenties. I need to start getting some money in my bank account. 
I can't do that. I need, I need an HR department. I need a 401k. Yeah. I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna even try this right now. Again, we gotta remember this is the height of the recession too. So right, oh, the height of the recession would be like what year? Yeah, what was that? Two thousand early two thousands. What two thousand five? Okay. Okay. So I mean, again, f- please fact check me after this because I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, whatever. This is all accurate. All right. Uh, <laughs> so I uh, was like, okay, I'm gonna try to like start applying for internships, and then like, you also gotta remember at this time that studios and stuff didn't have great websites. They were they were garbage. You couldn't reach anyone. You couldn't get a hold of anyone. And I remember, so it was really really hard. You just had to like kind of like print out your resume and just try to get it at yourself out there. I applied for, that's like the story I tell all the time, for Nickelodeon. I was like, I'm going to get into Nickelodeon. I'm getting into Nickelodeon. <laughs> I I did, including second and like sometimes third interviews, I interviewed to be at Trigadine and Nickelodeon 10 or 12 times. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I was, um, I applied, like, I was almost uh, Butch Hartman's assistant. Didn't get that. Oh, wow. That's probably better. Like a PA position. I was doing anything I could to get in. And um, finally, someone was like, hey, have you considered, getting on the desk of, on the network side, you know, being a creative executive. And I was like, what is that? Like, oh, like this is, you know, there's a production that is the ones in charge doing per per show, but then you have the network that oversees those productions. I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, in a creative executive, you kind of get to see it all from- Yeah, from like the whole pipeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta see it all. It'd be, I was like, that sounds awesome. Like, I'm not a writer, but I can at least like, you know, this is probably as close as I'm probably gonna get, so. I was really lucky enough that um, a couple of executives, current series executives, took a chance on me, and they hired me as their assistant. And that was um, that was my first job getting uh, getting into animation. That's great. Do you know kind of what made them take the chance on you? Like, did, did do you think like because you applied so many times, like ha- had been had they seen you around, or like is there anything that kind of made you stand out? I, I I think it was pity. I th- right. totally <laughs> I totally think it was pity. He just, he just keeps trying. Just give it to him. It's fine. You're joking, but I swear, I, I, I'm almost positive that's what, how it happened. I think they, they knew when they interviewed me, they knew that I had a passion for animation. Cause I think that, I do think that a lot of people that apply for those jobs might not be true animation fans. Right. I, this is my guess. Right. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think that people I like believe it. apply, just get the job and they move on. They, when they, when a, when a live action, you know, oh, a shiny live action uh, position opens up, they get the, they get the experience they need and they move off to go do live action. I so see. I think they were like, oh wait, this kid's a real deal. He actually, it, I mean, I was an awful interview. I talk too fast. I stumble, I stutter. I, you know, I'm an aw- <laughs> I, I, a sweaty mess. I wear like, no one told me to, to alter my sh- clothes to make me fit my tiny body. So I was going in there like swimming in like, you know, <laughs> cheap button-ups like looking like an idiot and um i don't know how i managed to get a job but i got a job and that was my that was my first my first gig i wanted to give a side note uh you mentioned that you alter your clothing you're like one of the most well-dressed dudes i know in animation and i i want to compliment you on that because i and i I, that's the secret huh i always was like how does he do it and it's probably because you're getting your clothes altered huh it's someone it's just someone being like brandon just because it says size small doesn't mean it fits you you need to have (laughs) it to you you need to find clothes that fit you. Yeah, it's hard, man. It took me a long, long time to figure that out. That's a good friend. Who? <laughs> yeah, whoever that was, give him a medal. Yeah. I wish that I wish that more dudes understood that. Like, I, it took me a while to figure it out too. But man, yeah, it's like just because it says the size and it is like on your body doesn't mean that it looks good. That's the only reason why I agreed to do this podcast was to get that word out. Uh, That's good. <laughs> Yeah, this is <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by um, H&M, I guess. I hope. Yeah, we have a lot of money. God, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> 
It's the most like irrelevant sponsorship ever. Right. <laughs> uh, we're sponsored by H and M. Buy buy some shirts. Anyway. So that's yeah, that's a that's a crazy place to start. And so how long were you in that position? You kind of worked your way up uh, over the years though. Yeah. So it was uh, my give you a little give you a little timeline here. So my first I was an assistant to the two current series executives. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is great, like development. And they're like, no, 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 this is not development. That's a different set of executives. This is current series. Your job is to, once the show gets out of development and gets greenlit, the development executives go work on their next projects and they get handed over to the current series executives. So these are the shows that are currently on the air or going to be on the air. That's your job. I was like, oh, interesting. So yeah, so that was my first, and I was, I was a coordinator, then I was a manager, then I was a director before I, before I left Nick. But uh, my first shows when I was a coordinator was Planet Sheen. Oh boy. And Fanboy and Chum Chum. Those are my, my, those are my shows when I was a coordinator. Mm -hmm. and um what like what did your day look like as like kind of each of those positions because honestly i know what a storyboard artist they look like but i'm i don't know what it is like on your side i mean on your old side <laughs> yeah so uh basically i always try to i always explain that the current series team your team your executive your coordinator your manager or what have you they are like this octopus that like they're watching out for your the the show's production, and they're also watching out for the network needs at the same time. They're kind of like your they're the the show's voice back to the network, and the network's voice back to the show. So, I mean, one part of I mean, there there's so many. You're you're meeting. This is one of the reasons why I love this job is that you're meeting so many different people in so many different departments. Yeah, no kidding. So your job is basically like putting out little fires every single day, like. And you're on multiple shows, right? A current series executive will have. I think at Nickelodeon at the time, you it was you were assigned maybe like three shows. It changes from studio to studio, but at the time I was like, oh, you got three shows that you are in charge of. So you're attending storyboard um, pitches, you're reading you know, everything from premise to uh, final draft and giving notes and reading them, uh, all those. But you're also doing a lot of miscellaneous stuff too. Like you're building, um, you're building like PowerPoint decks to like show off to other parts of the, all the other arms of the business to get them on board with the show is because Unfortunately, not everyone watches the shows that they're supposed to be working on, right? Yeah. So you're like, okay, you're like the cheerleader um, for the shows that you are overseeing. So, I mean, I did, a, I mean, you got to think about every single part of a show that has all these other sides, but the show doesn't have time to do, right? Your showrunners, you know, your producers don't have time to like answer every single question. So you have your studio experts, which is your current series team, are your experts on the show. They watch everything, they're watching, you know, animatics you know, locked picture, they're going to records. They, um, you know, so we used to give notes on stuff like anything that came through from publishing or like there's a toy design. You're like, you know, this looks weird. This is off model. Let us give you some model sheets or let us, let us hire some, let us pay some artists to like do drawovers on this to like make it accurate and make it not look like garbage. You know, I used to like, uh, I, one of my jobs was there was so much Avatar, Avatar and Korra commissions that need to be done for DVD covers and posters and things like that. Um, and it was my job to basically be that liaison from uh, Brian Konetsko to those people to like give him deadlines, make sure that he's, you know, uh, delivering the materials that needs to be done, making sure that he's happy with the final product that's going to show up on I me. Mean, I'm, I'm rambling here, but the, the, the job. No, it's all interesting. The job entails so much stuff. Um, that's, and that's a small slice of it. You know, we used to go to con, we used to go to con table at cons and like 
organize the um, the panels. You know, what the what is the panel going to look like? Who we're going to have up on stage? It's basically the role of like a producer or maybe like a manager. I think a better comparison is like a band manager almost, where you're like for the show. Yeah, but for a show, so you're like trying to filter through like what the artistic vision is you know upwards to the label or whoever but you're also always there at like the concerts like you know that would be like the conventions that's how i kind of see it yeah that's a that's a great that's a great comparison and like this is like my big plea to like people on shows that like hate the network and like hate network <laughs> yeah you know what i mean like look there are a lot of things that hate network executives about i get it i totally yeah, understand yeah. i understand but at the same time, like they're also your biggest, they are your biggest and might be your only champions at the studio. Mm-hmm. And they're really busting their ass to like make sure that your show is getting the, I mean, some things are tied out of their hands, right? I mean, you're, you're answering to a lot of different arms of the business that, you know, unfortunately like don't get it sometimes, but like I almost promise you they're always trying. So yeah, that's, that is kind of a frustrating misconception is that like, it's like, fuck the network. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, you signed up for it. And like the people I, I've like pretty much all the experiences I've ever had with network executives are positive. Like they they do try and they do uh, want to, the show to succeed. But there's usually factors beyond their control. And like there's oh, God, there's like a million different factors that can happen that are way above their head. And all they're doing is just trying, like you said, put out fires, you know, and like it's tough. I mean, like, you know, I remember like, you know, leaks that happened. I get emails from. Oh, God. Uh, I was being like, what the hell happened? You're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. I got to figure out what happened. I was on some shows that were just like the biggest fandoms that would like, I mean, that's a whole other topic we get into. But. Yeah. I kind of want to like talk about all of it, but unless we have like something that we have to stick to in terms of that. I don't think so. I'm curious to know. I think this is really interesting because I think that it's an angle not a lot of people know about. It's like you've been to the other side and you're coming back with all this knowledge. And so it's interesting. But uh, what kind of, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, like, I was going to ask about like what kind of fires you would put out and you mentioned leaks, but like, I am curious what other kind of stuff. I mean, I remember, I remember one, I mean, I'm trying to think of it, but there's always, there's always, there's always some fire going on, right? There's always like, Hey, we're behind schedule on this. Like we didn't get, you know, I'm trying to think of like, you know, like, Oh, like they're not happy. Can, you know, consumer products needs like this thing. They need this. this um, they need, hey, you got, you got a picture of, of SpongeBob brushing his teeth. You're like, what are you? I have to comb through the episode and find a picture of SpongeBob. Oh man, it's such a pain in the ass. There's a campaign. There's you know, you know, I'm, these, these are all hypothetical. These are not really, but like Crest, you know, Crest is coming in. They need they have this huge like need for SpongeBob brushing his teeth. Can you get as many clips as you can as possible? SpongeBob brushing his teeth, and you have to have that knowledge. You have to go in and be like, okay, I'm gonna go through all these episodes, scrub through them, have maybe some kind of idea of SpongeBob brushing his teeth. That would happen all the time or like wow i remember i was so i remember i uh i so when you um when a show gets into development you have and you're pretty sure it's gonna agree that you have to actually go in and register make sure that all the names are trademarked right so you can like do that and that is public information someone had found out i remember i did this stuff for cora i did the legend of cora avatar the legend of cora i looked up like the i did the um the registration for that and immediately people on the internet were like just filed da 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 trademark for legend of avatar legend of core we got our spinoff guys i was like oh my god how are they oh, doing whoa. this how are people are going online and finding this stuff out you know they would do stuff that i remember like on turtles there was a big there was a big problem that um they want to dull out character information um during a timeline but they posted it on the website but like you know had it hidden they would like time out when they would do it someone found out the password and then like leaked all this information out. And you're like, oh, all oh, these spoilers no. were out. And like, especially a show like Turtles and a show like Korra, you're like, spoilers are just like, 
you know, you're going to piss off your creators. You're going to piss off the team. And you're like, you got to really, but everyone needs information to do their job. Right. So you're so scary to like doll out this information to everyone. Like you're working with all these different arms of the business. You're like, please, 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 please do not share this to anyone else. And they're sharing with their, their partners. Cause they want to know how to like, you know, we got to know what happens at the end of the season to like market this. Like, Oh man, that's hard, dude. I'm getting sweaty. I'm getting sweaty. Just revisiting re- re- some. Yeah. It's like flashbacks. <laughs> That's a hard job. Like I, yeah, you telling me I'm getting sweaty. Like I, I that's, that sounds exhausting. And, um, and it also kind of sounds like there's no real right way to do it. I think like with an art job, you sort of know your lane and you sort of know what your tasks are and what you have to do. But with a job like that, it's just like, it's constantly shifting and you're constantly dealing with like network pressures and all this shit. So like, yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's a, it's kind of an, what's the word? Like, you know uncelebrated job of animation it's, it's like definitely a- uncelebrated job no one knows i mean again everyone all the credit goes to like you know i mean you, you go to like award ceremonies and people are like thank you for the development executives that believed in me and you're like wait what about yeah. what, what, oh no. no one cares about the current series team but like that's just, I mean, it, like but the good thing is that like every the, all with all that chaos that happens you never are bored i was never bored of my, i'd never had a day where i was bored i was like there's always a new thing and to be like okay there's a there's a core fire i gotta take care of okay got that there's a spongebob fire i gotta take care of okay got it there's a hurry beaks fire I gotta take care of. Okay, got that. You're oh, you're never bored. You're always like moving, moving. That's nice. That that does that does sound sound good. I actually love that kind of like. I feel like that's uh, a job that I could do and would enjoy. But it's a great it's a great job. I'm always like trying to push people to be like, look, we need we need like there are not enough executives out there, and man, we need them. We need good 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 execs, and we need people like a variety of execs. You know, I do wish that yeah. I think there's a lot of people who don't draw. And they want to work in animation, and so they, but they don't know like what else can I do, and so they're like they try to get into production, which is also a, you know that's a valid path, but but yeah, like that sort of the executive side on the network is also like very valuable, and you actually have input on a lot of stuff, like you can sort of help sway decision making, and uh, to some degree, you know, depending on how high up you are, I guess. Of course, I mean, it depend, you know, yeah, I mean, all that's yeah. I don't, know. I really don't have anything actually else to add. That was really well put, Gene. Well done. Oh, thank you. <laughs> wow. I was gonna ask Brandon, like, so you you went straight to being an exec, or did you know, or were you in production for a hot second before being an exec? No, I was never on the production side. Okay. Never on the production side. I mean, that's I was always like so jealous of that too because I'd see like the camaraderie and like how much fun productions had, and I was like, oh no, I want to be part of that um but no i was never on the production side it was always the executive side and um did you start as like an like what's the the ladder looking like for execs is it just like are you just like exec and that's it or is there like assistant to an executive and then you like because i have no idea yeah yeah i mean you just uh, they, so the phrase you'll, i mean a lot of people in, in hollywood in the business will hear the phrase get on a desk which means start off as an assistant because that's the best way to that's one of the one of the ways one of the most effective ways to to move up the ladder in in the biz so i got on the desk of two i was an assistant to two executives and then you move your way up then you uh, you know you're on most shows you have two executives you have the, your lead exec and then you have your second exec so um your second exec could be you know a coordinator a manager a director uh, which is what I was at when I was at Nickelodeon. I was always a second executive. I had a couple of shows that I oversaw by myself, but for the most part, I was mostly second and I liked being second. Um, I didn't like to be like the, the head executive because man, that's a lot of work. What's the difference between being head executive and uh, second executive? I'd say the biggest part is that a lot of people are look. it's, I mean, if you're the first executive, you are the one that most people, I mean, 
I was like the support, right? They're the, the seconds using the support. Like, what do you need? What can I do for you? What are the assignments I need? Like, you know, a lot of the times a head executives isn't going to have time to, again, let's use a previous example, SpongeBob brushing his teeth. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have other things to do. They're not going to have time to scrub through the episodes to Sponge, SpongeBob brushing their teeth. That's what I would do. You know, okay. things like smaller tasks that I can handle, I would do that. But your lead executive is going to have the tough conversations. You know, they're going to be the ones that have the direct direct line to showrunners. Um, they're the ones that are going to have the the tough conversations. They're the ones that are, you know, going to be doing like basically the, the, the really hard the really hard parts of the job because hey guess what that's what they're getting paid for sure yeah well that stuff is really interesting but um let's talk about your writing because i mean that's like what you always wanted to do and i remember when you were offered that first gig and like the sort of the stress well first of all actually we should mention because you did move to netflix at, at, at one point you were at nick for a long time and then you uh, went over to netflix right 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 yeah i um netflix was ju- just starting up doing um started up doing their animation, doing the animation studio. And they were grabbing about it, like, you know, they were grabbing a bunch of executives, built out their team. And I got a call being like, hey, are you interested in, in talking with Netflix about joining the the, the the animation team? And I was like, I'm, I'm pretty happy at Nickelodeon. Like, I love my shows, love my artists. I, I love my boss, love my team. Uh, I don't really have an interest in moving. And they're like, well, they're going to pay you double. And I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Nickelodeon, I'll, uh, I was like, are you hyperbole? actual double and they're like yeah we're gonna pay you double and i was like okay nickelodeon's been great um i've learned a lot yeah bye <laughs> some good, good some good times but uh i'm gonna take that jetty so uh yeah well you had a baby you did right and like it's it's hard to turn that down it was hard to turn that down um it was hard it was also hard to walk away too because again i did love my shows you 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 get you build a rapport with the artists and when like i said i was i was a good executive at my job at nickelodeon like and i like it was easy and I could, I knew what I was doing, you know, I, I, I was easy. I, I knew my, my people and there was a comfort there um, that I had. So it was scary to go, but um, again, I, I'm not gonna turn down that, I'm not gonna turn that, that sweet paycheck. So um, yeah. Yeah, I left to, um, to go to Netflix. And when you're at Netflix, I don't know if it's changed now, but at the time that the executives on the animation team were doing both development and current series, you had to do both. Which makes sense. I feel like it's weird that a lot of studios, I think it's changing, but at least for a long time, it's like you were saying, there would be development executives and then they would, you know, pass it on to a current series exec, which is weird only because I feel like then there's no like ownership and you almost have to start from scratch with building those relationships. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's odd. So yeah, you were at Netflix for, uh, for a little bit. But then you got a magical offer to write on. Can you say? Yeah, it wasn't writing. I was. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't a staff gig or anything of like that. So okay. Because I mean, I probably can't too, talk too much about it. It's probably the extent I can talk about. But sure. Because uh, I was I, I was a second executive on the Legend of Korra. Um, got to know Mike and Brian really well, and they were like, "Hey, I think we're gonna." You know, they, I, I had a relationship with that with those guys, and they knew that I was actually writing. I would actually. I, oh, I forgot this. I was writing at nighttime when I was an executive. When I was doing current series stuff and was at Nickelodeon, I was I would go home and write doing children's manuscripts uh, after work. Damn, yeah. Uh, I was doing that for fun uh, as a hobby to hopefully like try to sell a book. And Mike and Brian knew that with my just my uh, you know being their second executive, you get to know those you get to know the showrunners pretty well. Yeah, yeah. You become friends, really. Yeah, yeah. You become friends. With, yeah, totally. And they were like, "Hey, we're gonna you know Avatar uh, live action series. This uh, this might be happening." I was like, wow, congratulations, guys. That sounds awesome. And I'm like, well, we're going to have a writer's room. Do you want to join us? 
And I was like, uh, are you serious? Like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, um, I need to think about this because I had been at Netflix for less than a year and you know, making that jump was a huge, huge jump. It's terrifying. It'd be like yeah. start, it'd be hitting control alt delete on your entire career. Right. And again, you know, I, I mean, you guys know, you guys are on you are, you're that hustle from show to show. Like when you're an executive, when your show ends, it doesn't really affect you. You just get another show. Right. Right. You know, I was like, oh my God, like, I, do I, I'm like, you know, when the show ends, what am I going to do after this? Like, I was like totally spiraling. Welcome <laughs> to our world. It's terrible. It's terrible. This is the reason why I didn't do that in the first place. The, uh, and I um, also, I was like, the, the pay is, you know, it was, I was going to, I was going to join on as a script coordinator. The pay is like a third of what I was making at Netflix as an executive. Yeah. Remember when you said double, now you go back. Yeah, now I'm going like, yeah, way back down. And I was like, and I was just like in agony. And then uh, my wife was like, by the way, I'm pregnant again. I was like, oh, God. oh. <laughs> oh I was so just painful. like, totally just like, I was, it was like probably one of the worst like moments of my life. I was just up all night stressing about this being like do I do this do I not do I do this do I not it's so interesting because I have like a friend who like went through a situation that is so similar for him the thing was like he had a good offer um going back to France but like live leaving LA to go back to a good gig in France it was so nerve-wracking because it's like is this the right choice like am I like like is like you know because like LA in everybody's like mind is like this is where it's at so it's like kind of like your uh dilemma where it's like oh like this is the gig that everybody wants right being like a like high ranking exec <laughs> and then going yeah, to writing yeah. Ooh, is this the right choice yeah this is crazy yeah i mean it's a dream job i mean i loved i i um i loved i i love i love those guys i love the property um i remember i was in i was at a call i was in college when the avatar premiered and I skipped a Kager to go watch this cartoon. <laughs> you know? I, I, I skipped a fraternity Kager to go watch this cartoon. You fucking nerd. Uh, yeah, totally. And so I, and my wife was like, I know who you are at your core. You're going to be really fucking annoying for the rest of your life if you don't take this job. So oh, for my sake, go take this job. What a good wife. Yeah. So I took it. I took it and I left. And so it was, um, again, again, I can't talk too much about it. I will say this though. It was like, one of the it was like some of the one of the best times of my life just it was just me and two guys goofing around it was so much fun i learned so yeah. much about like live action i will say this let me say this for the podcast <laughs> there's so much lies out there about rumors that are so false about the show like it's bananas you go on the internet and see conspiracy theory videos here i got the inside scoop about what's happening at netflix and avatar yeah, Brandon, it's it's the internet. And they're like these well-produced, there's these well-produced videos and they're lies. They're total yeah. lies. It's, yeah, it's all just clickbait bullshit. Dude, it's so funny. Like, how do you sleep at night? It's so crazy. Like when I was on Thundercast for a while, people were just like, like me and my friends on the show, we it was it was a battle because you see like the most blatant like conspiracy theories, and you're like, okay, I cannot engage because the minute I engage. It's over <laughs> for all of us. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. like, okay, I gotta just like watch this and just like, just yeah, like you know something and nobody else can know it. Yeah, I hadn't. I was just. I was so. I mean, I always knew the fandom was. I mean, it's it's huge. And and, and I was. But I was. I, I I was. Someone had. I someone sent me a link because I had drawn on the whiteboard a picture of Aang waving. Like, oh god, what did you do? Oh. No. I thought like something like, "Welcome to the office, everybody." And like Brian, Brian took a picture of it, posted it on his Instagram and said, 
Brandon Huang is our new art director as a joke. Oh, no, that's his fault. Okay, yeah. you did nothing wrong. As a joke, right? Clearly a joke. And like on this Reddit, they're just like, all right, good. here's the news, guys. This someone named Brandon Huang is the is confirmed as the art director. I'm like, oh what God. is happening right now? Like, it's all it takes. But they actually had grounds. They actually had grounds to like kind of like go completely nuts because like there was like a text and a picture linked to a name. Yeah, it's even crazier when they just like make stuff up from thin air and you're like, and then and then yeah. for some reason that catches on and you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just white noise. Like I feel like all that stuff is just white noise. I just can't believe like, how can you sleep at night? How can you sleep at night? Oh, they make they make good YouTube ad revenue money. That's how they sleep at night. <sighs> it doesn't matter to them. When can we sell our secrets? When can I cash <laughs> in on that? Anytime you could do it anytime, but but you got to be on some good anxiety meds to not lose sleep over it. Yeah, <laughs> you have to have no shame. That's what it is. You have yeah. to have no shame. No shame and be prepared to never work in this town again. <laughs> oh God, wouldn't that be something? I feel like honestly though, like don't people just kind of like forget eventually? Like give it a couple of years and then it's just like yeah, just like water under the bridge. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, like I've. Everybody like forgot everything about like I don't know what was the big scandal that like everybody forgot about. Ah, uh, there's been so yeah. many. I don't know. That's the thing. Yeah, you're right though. It's like it, nobody remembers that stuff once, the, especially once the show comes out. It's like everything before it just like poof, like completely evaporates. Like nobody even thinks about right. it anymore. I don't know. But uh, yeah, and then um, and then you moved up to actual writing, but uh, you probably can't say what you're working on, or can you? No, I didn't say, say So, yeah, I mean, so, and then basically when my job was up there, I was like, okay, guys, like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to take off. I'm going to try to get, no, uh, I'm going to try to, you know, get staff somewhere. So I, I left. And then it was actually right before um, COVID hit. I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to spend some time with my girls and then I'm going to, you know, try to uh, work on some book writing and like, maybe like do some freelance or, you know, in the meantime, try to get, try to get staffed. And, and then, then COVID hit and I was like, oh my God, I'm actually watching my girls full time now and I have to write. Mm -hmm. That job ain't easier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. This is, a, this is not full. This is not part time. This is a real time thing that's happening. So I, um, I got a couple freelance scripts through, again, some friends of mine that were, um, because I was some, some friends of mine that knew me as an exec, knew that I was doing the writing jump. So I got a couple of freelance scripts for, I don't think it's announced yet, so I'm not gonna say the name, but uh, um, a Netflix bridge show, uh -huh. preschool bridge show uh, for that. And that was- uh, We should probably say what that is because that's some jargon that might not be- uh, Yeah, yeah, preschool. We all know preschool shows, but uh, bridge is like a step right above that, right? So uh -huh. it's like not, you don't have an educational component but it's still like preschool-ish. I would say the closest thing is probably Santiago of the Seas, right? Nikki's show. Yeah, I think so. That's that's like a step above. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what are some other like uh, bridge shows like? Um, oh, not Paw Patrol. That's pure. No, that's, pre that's definitely. Would you say like uh, Loud House? Mm. No, Loud House is like family. No. no. Well, yeah, that's definitely a ten to six to eleven. But I think it, yeah, it's definitely younger skewing. But anyway, yeah, it's. It's a new thing that sort of more uh, studios are doing, which is cool. I mean, there's a lot more. This is sort of a, an aside, but it is cool. I feel like a lot more networks are trying to go outside of those restrictive demographics where it's like, um, you know, what is it for kids? You probably know, Brandon. It's like three to five. What is it? What is like the junior demographic? I actually don't know. I mean, like, I know that the, 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 the you know, your, your Coras, your, your at Nickelodeon specifically, it was like your Coras, your Turtles, your your loud houses that's six to 11 
again that, that maybe the goal uh-huh, is yeah. changed in them but like six to eleven is like that's a, what they're marketing the range that's like tattooed on my yeah. on my brain <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and it's funny a lot of shows like pretty much every show that's not a, a a junior like you know baby show is six to eleven and that's how they're marketed and everything from like invader zim to yeah to loud house which is like that's all the same demographic which is bonkers because they are completely different shows. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've heard a new kind of slot opening, which is like family. Uh, they have like a, a different way of like calling like a show family, but basically like a show that is targeted as a, for parents to watch with their kids. Or four quad. Four quad. Okay, that's what it is. <laughs> four far quad, like in Shrek. Yes. Yes. Okay. They just want to make more and more Shrek. Everyone's just trying to make Shrek. It's the name of the villain, right? Far quad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. It's all just jargon. It's all just like, you know, stuff to put on press releases, really. Yeah, V, but you're right, though. Four quad, right? So you got four quadrants. You got your mom, your dad, your, you know. And daughter and son. Your girl, your boy. The, the good 1950s nuclear family that is still relevant. Yeah. Mom, dad, son, dog. That's it. That's Got to market to the dog. <laughs> you forgot the daughter, Gene. <laughs> well, I just, yeah, sorry. It's like Leave it to Beaver. It's just, yep. just a, a young boy. This is the nuclear family of V. This is what we were all aspiring yeah. to, clearly. <laughs> but, uh, no, fuck all that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but then there's also a, like, a, a young adult demo that, like, isn't, it's not, it doesn't really exist yet. Everyone wants it to exist, but I, I do feel like there's a strong push for it where. It's... I, I don't know. I feel like I, I'm really excited about people doing, like, animation for young adults, but I also wonder sometimes, like, what are young adult like, actually consuming in terms of like media don't say it out loud that the executives will hear it they won't want to do it i think that like i mean i think a lot of the stuff that we like cora might as well have been a young adult show oh yeah 100 percent. i consider it to be young adult like in, I, yeah. yeah and i think brandon maybe might be able to contribute to this more but I, I feel like if that demographic existed there would be a lot less shackles on certain things and so like yeah the showrunners would be able to flex more and do more mature themes. And it doesn't make it the show, you know, it doesn't have to be vi- like super violent or show sex or like have swearing, but there's just a little bit more maturity you can bake into those shows yeah. without feeling like you're shoehorning it in. Maybe you can contribute yeah. more to that. No, I mean, it just doesn't exist yet, right? I mean, everything you guys are saying is right. It doesn't exist. That, that, right, that's, that, yeah. That corner just doesn't exist. There's a, a big black hole. I guess, I guess except for anime. I consider anime to be YA. That's exactly it, though. You're, you're right. I should have. Yeah. Anime is yeah. that. And it's it's crazy to me that, like, it's such a humongous market and it's all teenagers. And yet networks don't want to admit that it is a, you know, an untapped market for Western cartoons. But I don't know. Whatever. I think it has to come around eventually. I think it has to. I think it has to, Gene. And then here's my here's my wild theory right now. Like, this is what I keep saying. The more young people that get anime that, you know, look at all these, you know, we're all all of us are consumers of anime, right? And like, I feel like the more these people that are getting in there, the younger people that know this, that are getting in there and rising the ranks of as executives will have that power someday to see that. Yeah. Yeah, be the change you want to see. And I think that like, like I said earlier, like even if, if you don't, if you don't draw, even if you don't even want to write or whatever, like if you believe in animation, like, yeah, get, get on someone's desk, like work your way up and try to get to those positions where you can listen to what the audiences are saying. Like you can try to help push forward those projects because there's not enough, there's not enough executives in those positions of power that get it, quote, quote unquote, mm. get it. But uh, yeah, because you've had a project in development and um, 
you probably don't want to talk about it, but which is fair. But um, I mean, I've talked about a little bit. Okay, then, yeah, I'd love to hear sort of what you can say because uh, your perspective on it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, oh, so I mean, when I left, that opened up an opportunity for me. To, when I left the executive life, that opened up the opportunity for me to pitch, right? Because now I'm not I'm an executive. I don't have conflict of right. interest. And there was an idea I had. Um, I also don't want to speak too much about it too because it's also not just my story to tell. Um, do you, sure. you guys familiar with Han Sang? He's a. Uh, I know him through you. He, he was a college stylist on Steven Universe on on Zim. Um, he uh, was the lead on, lead color on the latest Adventure Time. He's and also did a ton of work with Natasha Allegri on Being Puppy Cat. He's a beast. He's incredible. Yeah. He's an incredible talent. Um, so him and I. Um, yeah, talented dude. Uh, had a show. And uh, we, uh, it was uh, awesome. We actually uh, had interest from both Amazon when they were doing kids content at the time and Netflix. And we went with uh, Netflix at the time, which was, uh, it turned out to be the right thing because Amazon kid division closed shortly Ooh, after. Lucky. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so we had a show in development and we were this close. You guys can't see me, but my fingers are so. I can <laughs> feel it. I can feel you doing my it. My thumb and forefinger are literally almost. Oh, it's so close. I can feel it. So close. Uh, we were right there at the fin- finish line. And then um, they pulled, pulled, we had we had the studio. We had the studio locked in. Our dream studio we had locked in. Mm. We were so sure it was going to get greenlit. We were like, this is That's we so doing, painful. We were doing production. We were doing budget meetings for planning for season oh, wow. two. I was starting to plan a writer's room. Hans was starting, you know, Hans and I had a bunch of artists that we had in mind for designers and board artists and directors. We were ready to go. And yeah, it got pulled right God, at the, that... it, was, it was literally heard the, not the Netflix, but um, but it was, but uh. Yeah. What, um, can you say the reason, like, did they give you a reason why or, and can you say, or is it all top secret? No, it's not a secret. I mean, here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. And here's the truth about anytime you're going to get it. Anytime someone passes on your show, you're never really going to know the actual real reason uh, why. And yeah. is, do you know why we can't know? Is it because there are too many reasons? No, no. I'm just saying that like, this is like a, it's almost like a strategy, uh, right? Because I mean, there are, it, I don't know. I don't. One, I should say, take what I okay. say with a grain of salt. Like, don't take what I'm saying as, as, as any truth. I encourage you to ask other development executives that do this. But I feel like, for me, if they tell you exactly what's wrong, I hate the the mom character. Then what are you going to say? Oh, we'll, we'll, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get rid of her, right? You know what I mean? Like, right. you're not going to get specific because then you're just going to keep going in circles. So it's got to, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It, does that make it sense? It does make sense. It's like, uh, but at the same time, also, I wonder if like there i wonder i guess what my question was was like is there like usually one reason or like maybe like up to three reasons or is it or is it usually that it's so many reasons so many things going on that there's no way that anyone could pinpoint it anyway it's i mean who knows it's a big mystery i mean i think v i think you're both of the things you said are right. It could be one specific thing or it could be, I was talking to, I posted this on, on Twitter a while ago when I announced, when I was talking, I did a tweet saying that, you know, that Netflix had passed. Mm-hmm. And I was saying the development process is like a stack of sliced Swiss <laughs> cheese. Yeah, you told me that once and I still, I still uh, quote you on that. I know, I was talking with, I was talking with Matt, uh, talking to Matt Braley about it too. And he was like, that's, it's, it's so true. It's a slice of stacked Swiss cheese. And imagine each individual slice is rotating at its own speed and you to get a show greenlit take a pencil and drop it from the ah. top and that pencil has to go through ah. the hole of every single slice of stack of swiss cheese without touching anything and make it through ah. the bottom ah. if it bumps on any slice 
Your show's dead. <laughs> it is a miracle. It is a miracle. Any show ever gets green. It's, it's 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 winning a yeah, lot. Yeah, that makes sense. It's it's a miracle anything gets made. I don't know, and it's really like yeah, something I've had to kind of come to terms with is that it's like not. It's not your project. It's not you. It's not anything. It's like generally, yeah, it's just like things that we don't understand. And like you said, Brandon, it's like even the executives that are on your project usually don't have any say in it and they're they're doing their best. And then something changes up above and they just are like, uh, they probably have to like, I'm sure that having to make that phone call to their artist is like agonizing. It's it's like breaking up with somebody. It like sucks. Yeah, I mean, I I thankfully didn't have to do that, but that's one of the reasons why I actually I hated development. I, it was it's too much power. It's I, I hated having that much too much power. I hated being like I can change the fate of someone's entire life. Right oh now, god, right? yeah, god, that's so much. Yeah, I could write an email right now and pass on someone's project and be like, no, it's not for us. Anyway, okay, move on to the next thing. Yeah, knowing how much effort they put into it, yeah, and that's what happens. I mean, it's it's a brutal process, but I mean. The thing is that I was, it was so fun to be a showrunner for like 0.2 seconds that like, it was, that was great. I love that. Um, so we're taking the animatic. we got an animatic out of, we got a great animatic out of it. We worked with some awesome people. So we are take, uh Hans is currently uh, working on the animatic and make some tweaks to kind of bring it back to a place that we originally want it to be. Sure. And uh, we're gonna go out again. And we have That's executives good. that are already, that know about it and that are waiting to see it. So I hope that good luck man yeah I, I really like it i i've seen it and it's awesome and like it really speaks to the kind of stuff that you like and this is my segue to <laughs> like your influences and sort of like what you the kind of stuff that you want to make like the kind of stuff that you're trying to live up to and i think that your project really reflects everything that you had told me you wanted to pay homage to and kind of like you know do in your own way um but let's talk about that like tell me uh your biggest sort of influences and like what kind of stuff you're kind of inspired you and what you're trying to um i like it's it's a weird question to ask but it's like what you're trying to live up to like what kind of content yeah i mean i'll say this right now that it's it took me a while to kind of realize what i actually like i'm very curious if you guys actually have the same same thing like I had such a big variety of stuff that I consumed as a kid and I was, it took me a long time to, and I think I'm trying to still figure that out. Like what other stuff that really resonated with me that elevated a show or a book or any kind of media from like, Oh, I like that to like, Oh my God, I love this. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I was a real right. sensitive kid and I still like, mm-hmm. I, I still am. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I was a big crier. Like I would move <laughs> my stuff and would cry a lot. <laughs> I remember. Aww. I remember I read, um, uh, uh, do you guys ever read um, uh, Lewis Sacker? He's a, he did a, like w- sideways stories from Wayside School. He did the book Holes. Okay, yeah, I've read Holes, yeah. There was a book that he, uh, he wrote called um, the, uh, There's a Boy in the Girl's Bathroom. And I remember reading that book and sobbing at the end of it because wow. like, the ending just wasn't fair. I was like, no, no, he didn't get to say goodbye. And uh, it like, and I was crying. So I finished it in the morning before school. My mom was like, what the hell is happening? What happened to you? And she, I couldn't yeah. explain it. And she was like, Who was the book, mom? Yeah, she's like, I'm going to keep you home from school, I guess. So I, I stayed home from school because I could not like stop thinking about this book and crying from it. And I was like, wow. So I think I liked, again, I loved, I love comedy. I love like stuff that makes you laugh. And I love, but I also like that stuff with like those, sh- I like the shows and the books that can do both. Right. Yeah. I like really like that slice of life. Well, slice of life. I love stuff that's like, I can laugh in an episode and I can really 
think about. I can I can walk away really thinking about stuff. You guys, are, um, all right. Here's an, here's a big influence for you. Do you remember that? I loved Batman the animated series. Sure, yeah. I'm sure a thousand people that you're gonna have on here are gonna say that, right? Not yet. Actually, oh. we've had a lot of people that haven't talked. We've always been talking about anime. There's have been there has been less episodes not about anime. <laughs> yeah, it always comes back to anime. Well, it's funny because I didn't get into anime until until recently. Because I started watching it when I would realize that all the board artists that I was that I, in board pitches were like making anime jokes and talking about their influence in anime. And I was like, like Hannah Yubi would like talk about Sailor Moon all the time and like make jokes. And Yes, she does. And I was like, I got to start watching this. I got to start watching. Like, how can I be an executive giving notes on board artist stuff and not know what they're watching? Yeah, that's good, though. I would start like asking people big what are you watching? What should be, what should I be watching? And then like figuring out from that. I remember I, uh, I was sick one day when I had the flu for like two, like two days and I binged all of Sailor Moon on Hulu. And I was like, this is incredible. This is so, so fucking funny. <laughs> it hits that sweet spot for me. So I actually didn't watch anime until, until I was, until um, I was like in my twenties. I do love about, I guess it's like late eighties, like early nineties anime that like the, the biggest hits, like, Early Dragon Ball, Sailor Moon, Run and a Half. They're like really, really good at balancing action, comedy, and like heartfelt moments. And yeah. I feel like that's my umami V. Yeah, I know. It's like it's like it's like it's really I and I I feel you. It's like I've seen like that's what I've always wanted to do, and like what I've always strived for, but it's extremely difficult. And I feel like for the longest time in my life, I was like, well, there's no way I'm ever gonna write because how am I ever going to be good at action and heart and comedy at the same time? And you know what I'm saying? And like have like these like compelling characters and those like overarching storylines and all that like crazy stuff. And I was like, that's that it's really hard to do it. Well, it is, it is hard, but I, I think that's also, we've been taught to constrict ourselves from it a little bit. And that's because like that going back to the previous conversation, like that young adult demographic doesn't exist. And a lot of that stuff sits in that demographic. And a lot of kids' cartoons, a lot of Western kids' cartoons just, like, didn't allow, weren't allowed to have that kind of drama. It's, like, really rare. It's hard to find when we were growing up. Now it's everywhere because a lot, or it's at least, you know, more common to find because a lot of those creators grew up with anime. And, like, that's where they're pulling that stuff out of is all of that. I don't know. I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit. I just think that it's just extremely hard to do. It's just extremely hard to like uh, write skillfully and that you just like, you know, like when you, for one title, like Ranma or Sailor Moon, you have like thousands like of titles, even, even maybe like a hundred of thousands. So it's like you, you found like they, like they found this gem in like a sea of like other titles. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe people are gonna like be really upset with saying that, but it's like, there's like a little bit of like, oh, like the battle of who can like do this? Like who's like the most competitive person that is, that wants to hone in these crafts and will be, and will master them. Cause like, you know, it's not just like about wanting to do it. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that it is hard, but I I know that comedy is, very hard to do and like drama is usually a little bit easier i mean that's why soap operas exist because you can it's easy to just cram in some sudden twists and make something dramatic but like comedy is is very hard but anyway i don't know i think i'm losing the plot on what yeah, we're talking, we were talking about. about influences and like brandon watching anime yeah <laughs> no I, I, I think you're both i mean i, I i'm gonna say you're both right it's really fucking hard but also there are people that like 
I feel like it's like, wait, wait, is this a comedy or is this action? What, what, what are you trying to do here? You know what I mean? You're constantly, I think it's going to take a wave going back to my thing about getting a more variety of executives in there. It's going to take this people being like, these shows work, man. These, these shows that can do both yeah. slice of life, heartfelt comedy, they exist. They can do well, but V you're also right. They're really fucking hard right. to do, but it's a worthy endeavor. <laughs> I think when it's done right, it does, it, it does well. I feel like you can sell like a show with like, I mean, not like, not like you can sell like that. It, it's easy to do, but like you, you might go in with a strategy of like, okay, this is like a heartfelt show but like uh and that's kind of like kind of like the front aspect of it but it doesn't prevent you from putting comedy in in that show like later you know oh, yeah, or, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and or action if it calls for it you know but i feel like you can always kind of like yeah you can always have all the ingredients it's just like there's one that's going to take a little bit of like the front uh, i don't know side, like the front seat <laughs> v i want to send you my i'm going to send you our animatic for that show i want to see it so bad that's what we tried to do in that episode and we really tried to do like we try to explain we're like it's a slice of life action and there's gonna be some emotional shit that mm -hmm. happens in it and like it's hard to like people to wrap their heads around what that means like what kind of show is this what are you talking yeah. about? i totally feel you i feel like i'm like i've been trying more and more now to find reference like references for the shows that i kind of want to pitch to be like this is the tone of the show like so like so then when i talk about it with someone who has no idea what i'm talking about like they're kind of like oh okay i've seen that famous movie i see kind of what you're going for yeah yeah, that's good to do. And also I realized like, I don't know about you guys, but like I love slapstick and there's not that much content with slapstick in it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, it's like Looney Tunes. Yeah, that's kind of like an older form of comedy, I think, that a lot of kids just Yeah, but don't... I'm I'm talking even like for example, like for example, like slapstick like the Pink Panther, like the movies or like uh, the Naked Gun, oh, right. like that kind of slapstick that is kind of like realistic-ish but at the same time it's like so goofy i don't know i, I, I don't know that's kind of like my jam <laughs> <laughs> that's your jam a, a friend of mine who is a writer as well he has a pitch that's that is like naked like naked gun like those kind of <laughs> like but for kids like yeah. that kind of goofy like it, it's really really good it's really really funny well uh going back to the influences oh yeah so like what kind of stuff you, you said you're into games and uh, like, what kind of stuff do you feel like influences your writing? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, well, wait, wait, first, before I do that, let me answer that question, but let me go back to my, finish my thought about Batman and the Animated Series. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah, we interrupted. So my favorite episode, and this will kind of tie into that, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll do a beautiful segue. Oh boy, I can't wait, okay, hit us. So my favorite episode of Batman and the Animated Series is the one where, uh, what was it called? I think it was called See No Evil. And it was the one where, this villain, like, I, 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 I might get the details messed up, but he invents this material that turns him invisible. And he, like, in the stories about, like, him trying to get his daughter, trying to see his daughter because he doesn't have custody of her anymore. And it's just, like, really, like, one, how, like, adult of a plot is that to, like, have this villain, like, wanting just to, like, spend some time with his daughter. So he, like, He's this villain that like steals jewels so he can like give her his daughter some of the best stuff, and then Batman takes him down and beats the crap out of him. Yeah, just like in the anime where it cares so much about the villains and it's like it's so sad. It, I remember watching the episode as a kid and being like, "This is my, it's my favorite episode." And to this day, I was like, "This is the best episode of Batman the Animated Series," and it's this really sad story. So I like like I love the ones that are like that has a bit of sadness in it that has a little bit of like will leave you 
thinking about it, like, you know, I remember like watching the episode and going, you know, like, laying in bed, like staring at the ceiling and being like, what did I just watch? Why am I feeling this way? Like kind of process these like thoughts. So, so yeah, kind of that kind of stuff that like, again, like has that mix of both. I, I love it all. If you can do a show, you know, you can do a show or a game that has action, adventure, and and kind of sadness. Did you guys ever uh, look at? Did you guys ever watch? Watch? Did you guys ever look at a uh, Zach Gorman's Magical Game Time? Those comics that he used to do. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think Zach does a great job of doing that stuff. Of, of doing that too with those. But Brandon, there's a game that has all of those things. Yes, J- I know you're. I know you're baiting me. <laughs> I'm a little fish that's going around the hook. I can see that. <laughs> what is the name of that game, though? I'm trying you, were to... about Earth... you were talking about a little bit of Earthbound now? Oh, that's what it is. It's Earthbound. Let's talk about Earthbound. Ooh, Earthbound is so good on so many levels, and not just because it's got those three ingredients. <laughs> that's yeah, it's a fantastic game. But that was a huge influence for the for the 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 the, the show we had in development with Hans and I. Yeah, because that was a big influence for us. I didn't grow up playing Earthbound. I remember seeing it in the store. And I remember I had asked my dad f- to buy it for me. And I don't know why he didn't do it. I think I think he saw the number. Did it say there was like violence or something? No, I think it, I honestly think it was like, he showed me the back of it. And I think that there was like the HP, like the, you know, the little, like the bar at the bottom, I'd show your HP or your, your SP. And I was like, oh, is this a math game? And I was like, oh, never. Ah! I love that, like, you're repelled by math to an, to an extent that is, like, almost cartoony. <laughs> I'm so repelled by math. I was like, oh, wait, this has math in it? I have to add stuff up? Like, ah, 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 ah get me out of here. <laughs> oh, you missed out. But then looking at, like, all the fan art and seeing, like, all the um, discourse about Earthbound and what it was and what this game could be, and um, that was it. I mean, I, I haven't finished it. I have not finished the game all the way through, but I played a large chunk of it, but Wow. Can we just talk about this? You guys say something about Earthbound. I feel like we, I'm, I'm talking too much about Earthbound here. What do, you guys, what do you guys think about it? I think we can talk about it for a bunch because we have never talked about it on this podcast. We've never brought it up. I've been I've been saving it for your episode. Yeah, Earthbound. And it's it's interesting because it it keeps rippling through more and more projects. Like I, I, I know yeah. so many people that are using it as like, you know, one of their like pillars of influence and like it, it sucks that it is not in the mainstream. It, it has such an... In, impact on like the art community yeah and yet no executive knows what it is and so let me let me tell you let me tell you how fun it is to sit down to pitch out your to do a pitch and you're like all right so it's earthbound and you're like, what? what's that yeah oh boy this is gonna go really really well <laughs> it's hard i wonder i wonder if there's like anything because for me like what i really love about earthbound is kind of like how it's almost surrealistic and it, it's it's almost like you're yeah. playing uh, like a dream like it's not a dream because you're you know like you're you're going through towns you're doing like like actual stuff but there's like an element of it that you're like like this isn't real because you're this little kid all by uh himself just like riding his bicycle through you know friends. he's got friends but yeah. like you know you're doing like you're basically living like an, a, a grown-up life you know like you're like you phone your like that yeah. element of just phoning your dad for, for money. I love that. That's my favorite yeah, part of the game. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like a really, it's really interesting. And for me. It's a sad game too. Yeah. It's a sad game. It takes it, but it's also so funny too. Yeah. It's so, yeah. so, so, it's so funny. quirky. 
it's so weird and they're like all right okay i'm gonna go ahead and fight this drunk japanese businessman i guess yeah there's a lot of like deep commentary i mean i've watched a large share of video essays about about um earthbound and like there's so much complexity to a lot of its themes and stuff too it's like very anti-capitalist like i don't know there's a lot of stuff i could be wrong with this but what i really love about early video games is that people didn't really like think about them too hard and they just put a bunch of like elements that they liked in it and some of them were just like yeah. oh yeah this thing from life and then oh this thing that i saw in like in a, in a fairy tale yeah there's like blues brothers references in it like it's yeah. it's weird why are you guys drawing earthbound right now why is this not oh my god i don't know all right erase all okay. this bullshit <laughs> the fuck am i drawing just put, put, put a red hat on me <laughs> why are you yeah, yeah that's it why are you drawing, Brandon? That's what I want. I know. I tried to, but I got. I, I can't do both. I tried. Yeah, it's, it's hey, hard. It's hard. We're on. We're on episode eleven, and so we're we're just getting better at it. And also, we're just listening to you talk. That's that's true. We're just listening. But that's one of the beauties. That's one of the beautiful parts about Earthbound, and a lot of the the kind of the great the great staples that people have, have thrown up and have said there's no time is that you ask someone about Earthbound that knows the game, and they're going to tell you almost every single time something different that they love about it that's true that's true like i've never heard like v talking like v's answer about talking about oh it's, it's surreal it's like this dream i was like oh i never thought about it like that yeah that's not something i would say God, what a beautiful what a beautiful answer what a beautiful answer <laughs> for me it's like i love the feeling of a group of kids on on an adventure that's like bigger than them you yes. know and and like i i remember playing it and i loved that it was just like baseball bats and yo-yos and shit like that and Yes. And to this day, it's like, why aren't there more games that have that kind of feel that's like just a group of kids out on an adventure? Everything has to be this like crazy Final Fantasy batshit, like over the top thing. And it's like, hey, I kind of just would love a well-written game that's about kids. I actually really like Undertale is a, obviously very inspired by um, Earthbound. And uh, I think that's part of why people like it is that like the main character is just a kid and like it kind of helps you, it helps ground it. And I don't know, there's just something nice about that grounded feeling of like, you know, for the protagonists. Gene, you can't see me right now, but I'm in the back with my arm in the air, waving like a Southern Baptist, like, oh. Yeah, thank you. That is exactly what I'm talking about, yes. Well, yeah, and I, I, it's because, you know, I've seen your, your animatic and I know that that's something that you really appreciate about, appreciate about it too, is, and the, the closest thing to bring up I guess when you're talking to executives is like Goonies. Yeah. I, I think like, or like it maybe, you know, mm -hmm. but that's too, that's kind of got its own baggage with it. So it's like, and that's why Stranger Things was so like, yep. was so well, because Stranger Things was like the only uh, piece of media that came out recently where you had kids going on an actual adventure. Now that's what you got. Yeah. That's, that's the reference you got to drop yeah. if you want people right. to get it, but it's right. like, that's not quite, Right. Like, it doesn't have the whimsy. Like, yeah. Earthbound has a whimsy to it and this, like, quirkiness. I, I love... Quirkiness is such a hard-to-define concept, but I feel like my work, like, oozes it, and I don't know how else to explain it or make... Or explain the like marketability of it i feel know? like maybe maybe like uh i don't know maybe maybe i'm wrong but like references like maybe like uh all of the books by um i'm gonna say his name wrong uh rolled that uh well, <laughs> doll. this guy because <laughs> it's like quirky and it's funny yeah but it's uh, yeah i mean it, it is it's it's adjacent to it but it's not i mean but you know and like i said like quirky is hard to define and it's kind of it depends on who the creator is it'll right. it'll 
be a different definition. But yeah, it's something about like the sort of um, non sequitur nature of it and like just oddball shit and like designs that don't adhere to even its own internal logic, you know, like you can just kind of do whatever, but as long as it all is consistent in its like delivery. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's a, it's a difficult concept to articulate. I think that's why I kind of call it surrealistic in that way. You know, when you look at paintings by yeah. uh, Salvador. I cannot say the names with the English accent. <laughs> uh, Salvador say Dali. French. Who cares? <laughs> like, it makes sense when you watch his paintings. When you look at his paintings, and like, like his like universe makes sense. But yeah. it's so weird. Yeah, yeah. It's it, there's a <laughs> There's a set of rules within the painting that makes it feel like it somewhat yeah. makes sense i don't know everything's melting and so you're like oh yeah. is everything melting? <laughs> and earthbound it's just like everyone's yeah. weird <laughs> like i don't know like every everyone's kind of sad like that i don't know there's there's definitely some internal rules to earthbound that you just kind of accept it's like there's a big pencil in the road how do you get rid of it you find a big eraser like that's the that's the how you solve that puzzle and you're like all right sure yeah ah man a game i mean i i should do more in-depth I'm sure there's essays, more essays and stuff. Yeah, there's lots. Yeah, there's a comic online that someone did of the origin of that story. You, can, you should, if you haven't seen it before, you should read it. It's really good about the creator and how he, his, his, his. It's like it's like a little mini comic about how he created the game and 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 it's it's really good. I don't know. I don't know. I think I have seen it. Yeah. Well, the the way that he is it where he talks about like uh, how he came up with the idea of the final boss. Yes yeah it's pretty it's great yeah i yeah i think it's worth looking up there's a lot of cool little um backstory to earthbound and also like mother three is a fantastic sequel it it's a painful game like it's just even more emotionally traumatizing than earthbound pretty much right off the bat i know hans has been like hans has been like pressuring me so much to like find a way to play to play but we can't play it right you have to like find an emulator or something just, yeah you gotta find a rom i played it as an emulator uh, as a rom like a decade ago maybe more a pc brandon don't you i do have pc yes yeah but we don't pirate games do you shut <laughs> well doesn't the creator have a patreon <laughs> Yeah, Nintendo refuses to port it for some stupid fucking reason. They need so, to do this on like Mother's Day, right? They need to like, come on, <laughs> oh, they keep being, why does why does Nintendo so? They just love leaving money on the table. They love they, it. They they really really do. This is not. I don't want to. I don't want to go into a video game discussion, because like I actually think Nintendo has done a lot right, and with the cycle with the Switch, like it's been, they've done everything I could have wanted and asked for, like a sequel to every game. They're all good. But what the fuck is wrong with them not bringing back their old games when they could easily just, they have a service for it and they could just dump those ROMs on the, on, I don't know. I thought they already did that because I feel like on the, on the, I don't know, on the Switch, like you can download all these old games. Oh, V, you you should actually look at it. It's pathetic. Like, Gene Rant, Gene Rant, Gene Rant. Here we go. (laughs) Crack my knuckles. It's, it's pathetic like they try but it's pathetic they they have such a limited amount of games and there's like barely anything that's really playable a lot of it's just like shovelware from the 90s but anyway yeah so back to brandon earthbound's big earthbound's big okay we can, we, we can do a whole different podcast about earthbound ah, it's gonna be a limited series yeah we can do a whole <laughs> we'll talk about it yes i wrote down a list of some video games that i love that have spoke to me phoenix wright series love phoenix wright okay yeah. you can find a theme with all these Wind Waker is the best Zelda in my opinion. I love Wind Waker. Okami, Katamari, like 
Those are, those I are, love Katamari. Oh man, Brandon, this is why we're friends. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, and like all those games have those elements, right? right? Like, they all, yeah, they all have that quirkiness, and that, yeah. And like, you know, there can be. I don't think there's any sadness in Katamari, but like, there's a little bit of sadness in like Phoenix, right? There's some sadness in Wind Waker. There's some like quiet moments in Okami, right? I challenge, I challenge that. I think there's a lot of sadness in Katamari. I ooh, think it's just ooh, ooh, give it to ooh, me, James, ooh, give it to me. I think. I mean, I mean, I don't think you have to look far. Like, I love that the dynamic between uh, the prince and the king is that of like an abusive dad. Like he's a <laughs> shitty dad. And like, that's like, that's the whole plot yeah, of right. the game is that he like went on a bender and like f- fucked up the stars in the sky. And then he's like, Hey son, now you have to fix this. And it's like, that's sad. Like that's <laughs> fucked up. And there's a lot of little things when you're just like rolling up that the town, they're like little mini stories that happen when you, if you pay attention and you're like, I don't know. It's it's. I like that, Gene. I like that a lot. Okay, all right. I love Katamari. I, f- I love. I, love I, I think it's like a work of art. But yeah, keep going. Wait. So that, are we talking about video games only? What, what else are we talking about? We can talk whatever you want. Um, I thought you had you had like your whole list of games and that you weren't done going through them. Oh, uh, that's as far as far as I got. And then we yeah. hopped on the. Call. Oh, okay. But I mean, that's a good list. I'm sure I'm missing a ton of others. I mean, I played a lot of lot of Nintendo. I didn't play a lot of Sega. Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll we'll get into that during the the worst interview <laughs> question later on. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's uh yeah, let's you had some questions. Let's I think it might be a good spot to jump into some questions. 100%. Okay. At Court the Forest asked, are there any kids series you don't like but your kids love or vice versa? Also, oh, yeah. what are, what are you putting out a zine of your diary comics? I love them. I love them. A Court I uh, uh, love Court. I love her. Such a talented artist. Thank you. Great questions, obviously. Um yeah, uh, so yeah, cartoons that uh, I watched my kids. So my kid is obsessed with television, but I'm pretty like, I'm a strict dad. Like, I don't let her watch stuff during the week. So mm-hmm. Saturdays and Sundays are like, that's go, are go nuts. That's good. That's interesting. Okay. Um, she gets to watch uh, at 4 I will at 4 30, she gets to watch an episode of Reading Rainbow. That's about it. Mm-hmm. But on weekends, <laughs> weekends, oh, yeah. weekends, she gets to go ham. So, and I'm like that super strict dad, like where I'm like watching the shows, not to, not in, not that I'm watching these to be like, hmm, are these gonna are these characters gonna shoot heroin up their arm? Like these are like I'm watching it to be like, you're gonna have good taste in shows. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm not gonna that. let you watch. I, I, I can't think of anything else in my head. I'm gonna let you watch. If I'm gonna sit here and watch these with you, they better be good. <laughs> so she watched like we watched Miraculous Ladybug. She was a huge fan of Miraculous Ladybug, which okay. I loved. She, I got her into Sailor Moon. She's four, so like, yeah, I gotta take it as a grain of salt. So like, uh, Sailor Moon again. We talked about Sailor Moon. She'll watch a couple of those, even though it's pretty, it's, it's pretty mature for her. And especially like, you guys remember season one? Like those villains are pretty damn scary. Like, yeah, a, yeah, like pretty scary. So we skip ahead through those. But she's she she'll watch a couple of Sailor Moons, and I love those with her. She's huge into Pokemon. I was like, all right, this kid's gonna be a huge Pokemon fan. So she's like watched Indigo League, like. Thousand times Brock is her favorite character. I love Brock. He was my fave. Yeah. She was like so bummed that he left. She's like, why'd they leave? Why'd they cut him out? I'm like, I don't fucking know. You're right. <laughs> why do they do this to us? How can they get rid of Brock? He comes back. He comes back. He comes back in um whatever the islands, I think, isn't he? When they're like uh, sailing around the islands. I don't know. What's the other who they replacing with? Tracy? Who gives a shit about that? Guy? Who gives a shit? Yeah. Tracy. Oh, I was so mad. I was like, oh, I'm so mad with you about this. This is dumb haircut. I hate him. Anyway. Loves, loves, loves Pokemon. Wait, but the question was like, oh, stuff that she, I don't let her watch stuff. I don't let her watch stuff I don't like. I guess the only <laughs> thing I don't, 
I mean, you know what I mean? I control the remote, right? So I can, I'm picking what she watches and she'll, she's so happy to watch anything that is on the television that she almost doesn't put up any protest. She doesn't, I, I won't watch, and this is something that like her and her mom watch and this is not a knock against the movies, but like, I can't watch another episode of, and I can't watch another Frozen. I can't watch Frozen anymore. Oh yeah, you've seen it too many yeah, times. I don't. I've seen it too many times. Like I can't watch it anymore. So I don't, that's what I don't watch with her. I just refuse to watch it with her. Like that's when she watches her mom. She watches. I've never seen Frozen two. She'll watch that with her. I don't blame you. She's a big. She's a big. Uh, but she'll watch. Um, she'll watch. Uh, uh, Ghibli movies with me. Kiki, Totoro are her big ones. She loves Castle in the Sky, except the 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 the, the when the robot goes berserk. That's the only time that she's like, fast forward it, fast forward it. It is scary. It's scary. How's that? How's that for a, the kid question? That's really that, good. That's a good. That's a good answer. Okay, at Gia Ligamari asked or said, "Talk about your most embarrassing interview moments." Lol. Oh, is it for you guys too? Are you guys gonna answer? I don't know. I, I think we can. If, it's I guess. up to you. It's up to you guys. <laughs> we didn't. I don't think we have any. We edit them all <laughs> out. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's all been pretty smooth so far. Wait, is it interview as in like job interview, like? Maybe when oh, we like maybe. interviewed for a job and it was like really embarrassing. That's 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 how I took it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. I've told the story before on Twitter, but I'll tell you my Sega interview and I'll try to keep it short. Sega brought me in as they were like, "Well, we're gonna try to find someone to 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 revamp the animation." You know, we need we need to figure out what's going on with Sonic. Da, da, da. And I was like, "Well," and I really tried to get out of it because they were looking for like a kind of like a, I think they were looking for like a head of animation. I was like, "Ah, that seems way." I, seems way too important for what I'm looking for. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a head of animation kind of guy. And like, well, we, we, you know, we got your resume. We know that you love video games. We please, please, please come in and interview us. I was like, all right, I'll interview you with you, Sega. It was like the worst interview ever because I don't have that affinity to Sega that people that love Sega do. I didn't play Sega growing up. Like I had a Nintendo, right? You were either a Nintendo kid or you were yeah, a Sega yeah, kid, yeah, yeah. right? Cannot. I mean, what, unless you were a rich kid, like I was like, no, I, I had Nintendo and that was the horse I stuck with all my life. So I was like, I don't really know anything about like, I have no affinity towards Sonic. I thought the games here's, I mean, I could lose some fans here, but like, uh, like I was, Sonic was too fast for me. I was like, I can't enjoy the level design here. Like I'm just running as fast as I can blowing through this level as fast as I can. That's the point of the game. Back me up here. That's uh, you're being very kind. I think they're bad games and I don't care if I lose followers or whatever. (laughs) Honestly, I don't. I have never played a Sonic game. I just like the designs. I think the Sonic uh, the, character design yeah. is a pretty strong and amazing design. I I don't yes. know anything about this character, but I love him anyway. <laughs> yeah, the music good. I like the music. Yeah, there's a lot. There's stuff to like about Sonic. There's a lot to hate. I, it's a horrendous <laughs> franchise. You like, just to, your whole point is to run through the level as fast as you can. I was like, no, I want to take my time. I want to look at stuff. <laughs> well, even that doesn't work as well as it think it does i remember like there was a video that broke it down and it's like with the speed that they want you to move at and like you get like a frame to respond to an enemy that comes on a screen and so you're just constantly having to slow down to deal with problems which takes away the fun of going fast anyway I don't like Sonic games, but um, I have lots of friends that love Sonic. Let's do another podcast about Sonic. Let's do another podcast, a limited series about Sonic. I know. Ex- so they brought me in, and I was like, okay, I don't have any affinity towards Sonic, but okay, let's talk about it. <laughs> They're like, so you know, we're, we're struggling with, you know, like, you know, Cartoon Network's not giving us, like, the, you know, the prime slot. They put us in a, a you know, and they're like, and there's this, like, big, like, you know, all the fans, like, you know, we got to be really careful how we handle Sonic. Like, the fans, you know, 
we changed the color of his arms and like it became a big deal and i like burst out laughing i'm like oh you're serious like yeah like oh like the fans are so rabid about sonic that you can't change the color of his arms and they're like yeah this is a big this is a big deal i was like oh okay so i kind of laughed but they like weren't laughing Uh with me so i was like oh this interview is going real well and then they were like okay so what would you like you know if you were to come in here and like kind of like I don't know, like, do you have any ideas what you do with Sonic? And I was like, uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you exactly what you do. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And they're like, you know, they got their notepads, and they're like, what, 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 what do you do? And I was like, um, again, I'm going to butcher his last name, because I actually don't know how to pro- – Tyson? Tyson H? We all know? It's Hesse, yeah. Is it Hesse? Okay. I think so. So I was like, Tyson Hesse, let him do whatever he wants. Let him just do whatever he wants. And that's like, what they did. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, let him – show run create a show i'm not going to give him any notes on what his series is let him hire who he wants to hire pay them out of the artists that he wants out of their contracts let him hire his own crew and let him create do a sonic whatever he wants to do and they're like that's your answer and i was like yeah that's it and they're like okay well uh have a good day <laughs> yeah thank, thank you bye i never heard from them again <laughs> i love that though that's such a good flex just like just hire this guy. And he's great. He's really good at what he does. He's really like reinvigorated the character. Like, hey, like he saved that movie. Yeah. Like, full stop, he saved that movie. No, so they should actually be writing apol- reaching out to me and apologizing to me cuz that was my idea. <laughs> yeah. Where do you what where do you get the money? They should send you a check. Where's my I I just want recognition that my interview actually maybe wasn't that bad and that maybe that I was too forward thinking. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I, yeah they who knows maybe you planted that idea in their heads all right that's my that's my worst interview i i don't know if i have one i've definitely had embarrassing interview moments but that's just life this is about you brandon i got another question okay from at the lovely tony hi i'm interested to know if brandon had any tips when it comes to writing for animation do's don'ts getting from an idea to finish script how to utilize influences from other media to inspire a story etc Oh, yeah. Ah, man, I saw this question. And I was like kind of stressing about this because <laughs> I feel like there's so many other resources out there that are better than mine. I know that I mean, just today, like Shay Fontana did like an awesome thread about animation writing, like, and she's been doing this way, 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 way longer than I have. I think um, it was either Josie Campbell or Madison Bateman also did a thread about animation writing that like the lovely Tony should check out. I haven't been doing this very long. You know, I've, I've I physically you know, actually doing writing for animation. I've only been doing it a little over a year. So I feel like- Yeah, but we want to know about your philosophy. Like- <laughs> I guess my philosophy is, I think, I think one, you need to love animation. I feel like you can, it's evident if you don't know anything about animation and you're writing for it. That's one thing I feel like, um, I feel like you got to know your audience. I feel like you have to, look, if you don't, you have to, People will have varying opinions about this, but I think you do have to be a kid at heart. Like, people be like, oh, don't write, you know, there are people out there that I respect, that I, I love, that are working in animation. They're like, ah, oh, like, I don't really care about kids. I just do like, like, you know, I do my job and da, da, da. It's like, well, I feel like the greats actually do care about kids that are watching their stuff. And they- You would hope. Some people don't, and they're great at their job. You know what I mean? Like, some people are, and that's fine. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. It's It's- well, here's my big tip. Here's my big tip if you're going to get on a show, if you're staffed on a show, and I feel like 
one of my big tips would be don't, it's not, just keep reminding yourself that like, do the best work you can, leave it all on the table. But at the end of the day, it's not your show. Right. Right. Unless mm-hmm. it is your show, then that's another story. But like, you know, don't, you're going to get notes on your script. You're going to get notes from the showrunners. You're going you're gonna to get, you know, it's, it's not like, I feel like I've, I've heard story. I've heard horror stories. Luckily I haven't, I haven't yet experienced this in any of the rooms I've been in, but I've heard stories from, from horror stories from other people that have been like, you know, you, you petulant writers that are like, oh, they, I got notes on this, or I, you know, they, you know, they, they keep trying to push an idea through and it doesn't get through and they get like, they pout about it and they like, and it suffers in their work. And it's like, look, man, your job is, you're a gun for hire. Right. Do the best work you can. It ain't your show. Right. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I'm wondering if you, I mean, as artists, do you feel this? How do you feel about that? How do you, how, how I, do you I, I do yeah. agree with that. I feel for mm-hmm. me, I actually do agree that like, it's a lot easier for me when the boundaries are clear and when the showrunner and or the directors or whoever are like, this is what I want. This is what the show is. Mm. And once it's super clear, mm. there's no room for me to make, like to have the misconception of having to fill in the gaps with my, my heart. You know what I'm saying? Like when I know exactly mm-hmm. what I'm hired to do, it's it's really easy because like you said then I can just do what I'm told to do and it's really easy for me to separate I I know exactly I actually was telling someone that it's like you're when someone's being really clear with what the show is it's like they're telling you this is the sandbox that you got this is the the beginning like this is and the sand stays in the sandbox you know what I'm saying but when there's no boundaries when there's when because I've heard that on shows where it's like put all your heart into it, put yourself into your work. Like we want to see you. That's when it starts becoming really hard for me because then I, I, I believe it. I'm like, Oh, you want, you want to see me. So then I start putting myself out there. And then when it gets like, like when it, when it gets canned, it, it hurts more. Cause it's like, Oh, but I thought you said you wanted me. So so when the sandbox is not clear for me, that's when it's hard. Yeah. 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 That's really good. That's really good. And I feel like that goes with writing as well. Like I feel like it's the same, it's the same thing, but I think at the end of the day, we all put our best, we do the best we can. Like you have to, or else you're never going to get hired again. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it's, if you, if someone's being really clear with what they want you to do, then it's like, oh, this is great. I can, I can actually do my best for you because I know exactly what you want and, and I have the skills to give it to you. Which feels really great, I I think, when you when you can be in that position. Yeah, I um, yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard to not put yourself into it, but it, at the end of the day, it's like a job, and you don't want to burn out. Like that's a quick way to burn out is if you put too much of yourself into. If you it. put too much of yourself into it too, like you, like I said, like you know, when you're writing a script, very I don't ever heard this happen before very rarely is it your script really i mean you maybe get assigned to it and you may be doing the the bones or you know you're gonna get a couple things but you're in a it's a collaborative thing like you're in a room everyone's pitching ideas everyone's gonna go through your script and punch it up everyone's the showrunner the story editor is gonna make direct changes and you gotta just like let that go like again like i haven't seen i i'm again i'm gonna reiterate that i've been so fortunate enough that i've been in in the limited time I've been in doing this, doing writing professionally in the rooms that I've been in, it hasn't been like this, but I've heard these horror stories where like these writers get like really, really like, you know, petulant and like, they're like, oh, my vision is mine. I, I'm getting like noted to death. And it's like, it, it ain't your show. Just, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's that's good advice. I think that's great advice. Let's talk about your something we always forget to bring up, but like how do you deal with creative block when you're kind of stuck on something and you're not sure what to work on? And also, what does it look like for you when you're dealing with creative block? Well, I get a lot of um I have a lot of whiskey. So, what I do? <laughs> oh, that's good. I just put a lot of whiskey and then I go from there. <laughs> I gotta write that down. Okay, drink a lot of whiskey. Okay, that's just me. See, Gene, there's like so many different ways of dealing. <laughs> I know. Yeah, drinking very healthy. That's everyone. That's one. Yeah. Here's the thing. I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of not. Oh, I know you're not joking. <laughs> because a lot of, and this is like a lot of of, of things that I read about. Because I'm also I also do prose writing, right? Like I I, I sold a I sold a YA manuscript. So I, I'm learning like that whole side of things as well. Yeah. And they say like, you know, like one of the things I always see is like the first draft doesn't have to be perfect. So, you know, a lot of like writers will go back and be like, oh, I gotta make the, I, I gotta go back and change this. I gotta make, I gotta go back and change this. I gotta make this perfect. And like, they, it's, it's so hard for them to get a first draft out because they're so in their own head about getting it perfect. And for me, I'm not condoning this unless you would take my advice, but like whiskey relaxing myself and going back in and being like okay i don't care what i'm writing right now no i think i think that's valid i think that the the anxiety of like not of feeling like you're not making anything good is keeps a lot of people from doing yes. anything and so if there's a way to and i guess it sometimes requires substances but like if there's a way for somebody to loosen up then like yeah fuck it why not you know as long as you're not an alcoholic <laughs> i guess like i i don't know if i brought it up on the podcast yet but i was reading so it kind of ties into like you know how like you're saying like losing up uh, loosening up is kind of like what helps you uh move forward and kind of like tap maybe a little bit into like your unconscious or just like a layer of thinking that you were probably keeping under i would say like constraint of like the um, active like the the mind of the everyday tasks and like i gotta get this done like the stressed out mind i guess um there's a way of like tapping into your yeah. subconscious i read like in an article that dali was like doing is that you purposefully try to get yourself to kind of like fall asleep you're like and mm -hmm. so the way that he would do it mm. was that like he would hold a key in his hand so that like when he would start to like fall asleep the the key would fall from his hand uh, making enough noise that it would like uh, startle him and like that moment that like when you go between a moment of consciousness to like unconsciousness you, you, you basically have your neurons pinging in a different path than your normal path and like Damn. and then you can unlock some doors so like it, like this is kind of I guess useful when you're like kind of stuck in a corner and you're like okay I gotta think outside the box I've gone for a walk it did nothing for me well, maybe you could, I don't know, <laughs> if you're able to yeah. fall asleep mm -hmm. on command, I guess. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. That's not, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> I just thought it was a cool story. <laughs> but it's cool. No, I mean, yeah, whatever works. And it's similar to alcohol, I guess. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, okay, aside from whiskey, though, here's the other thing I'll say is that I think that it's been really hard to write during this pandemic because we're not seeing anyone. Wow. And I feel like so oh, much yeah. inspiration comes from, like, there will be days where like, I just need to go out and, like, see people and like you know I, yeah who i gotta hit up people that i haven't seen for a while who's gonna grab a drink with me at you know hey what are you doing right now let's go grab a drink and just talking with people and like 
it just inspires you to like, oh, here's a new story. Here's a new person. Here's a new point of view. Here's it just jostles that. And it's so hard to do this now with the pandemic because I'm not seeing anybody. It's really, really, yeah. really hard. Like, you know, like let's say the gene, like walks just at some point walks just don't do it anymore. Right, true. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure that out. I don't know. It's uh, it's tough for us. The, the for for me, I guess the podcast has been great because it's it's I I was in a serious slump and then like starting to do this was kind of a taste of that. It's like I'm catching up with friends and I'm hearing their stories and it's just been like I don't know. It's really gotten me and it's like something to do. Yeah. You know? and yeah. It's, so it's like it's something different that doesn't require my creative brain to function, but. What's interesting is that when you walk away from that part of your brain or your life, whatever, it rejuvenates and then you come back to it. It's like, but if you try to force it, it'll never come back, that that little spark. So it's like, it's good to walk away and do other things and, you know, spend time with your family, spend time, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, it sucks that we don't have access. To, we can't see our friends and, and stuff. And there was like another thing that I was talking with. Uh, about with a friend of mine it was just like there's a moment when you like get too wrapped up into your work you realize wait my life is just work and what am I doing I have no hobbies oh, yeah. I am just my work and then it's like yeah. time to get a hobby <laughs> yeah honestly like I've been like trying like you know, I'm on deadline uh, for this manuscript and there'll be days where I'm just like you know plan away plan away you know doing doing not only doing like the, during the day I'm working on you know working on the sh uh, working on my show <laughs> tasks and then at nighttime i'd go back gotta go back out in the office and work on my on my on my manuscript and it's just like you start to just like you know like, you know what letting myself be like i'm gonna play ghost of tsushima for all weekend long i'm gonna do that and like it seems like goofing off or whatever like you're playing the video games but like consuming that media you know watching tv yep. watching something that's like not in your genre like watching live yep. you know i just watched ted lasso what a what a treat right <laughs> Yeah, I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a samurai running around the, you know, feudal Japanese countryside, like killing dudes with a katana with cool moves. Like has nothing to do with what I'm writing, nothing to do at all. But like the more you're consuming, like reading books, playing video games, doing stuff that's, it's still fuel for you that you just don't know consciously. Yeah. So it sounds like weird advice to be like, go play a video game, go read a book. Like that's has nothing to do with animation. That has nothing to do with the work that you're working on. It's gonna like unlock stuff that you you might you, you might not even be aware of. Absolutely. Do you uh, separate your day job workspace and your manuscript workspace? Uh, yes. Only because I have to because of COVID. Interesting. Yeah. I have to because of COVID. So I I am very fortunate that I have one of those old um those California garages that we like transform into an office. My wife works from home. So she actually works out in the back office during the day. And then I take my laptop into the bedroom and that's how I, you know, do, that's how I work. And I do Zoom calls with the, with the writer's room during the day. I see. And then, at, and then at nighttime, I go back. And at nighttime, she's done with work. I put the kids down. I go back in the back office and I work on my... I see. That's what you mean. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering if it is a, a mental thing, just because for me, like, it was hard to do any personal projects at home because, yeah. like my desk was a, was work time. And so at the end of the day, I, I would walk away from it and be like, I don't want to go back to work time. So like, I just wasn't doing anything personal because it, it got tainted, you know, like my, my personal desk. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. So, I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, you got, I mean, yeah. V Gene, you guys, you guys work, 
live and die off your tablet, right? Like, how can you can you move that? I don't know. Um, I have a Cintiq. Yeah, yeah. But I do. Uh, I, that's why I used to love drawing traditional for my personal work because it was like the easiest way for me to do a paid job is digital, and me art is on paper. The only thing is like, yeah. Then recently I was like, oh, I want to make a web comic, and then I was like, well, if I want it to look really good, I have to make it digital. But um, yeah, that was a mm-hmm. good one. Like like changing medium yeah for me it was like the Cintiq became work and so I didn't want to have to sit at my desk and draw and so I actually dug out an old tablet and bought a little like roller table and I was working on stuff just with a tablet on the couch and that felt more like relaxed time like that felt more like you know my my time and that helped but then the tablet stopped working with flash very well so whoops but I'll I'll figure it out but anyway, so uh, the only other thing that we wanted to ask you is like, what are your goals going forward in your career? And like, you know, you mentioned you're going to keep pitching your project around, which is great. But kind of what stuff do you look forward to in your future? Yeah, I, I mean, this kind of kind of ties back to kind of like that question that little lovely Tony had about like tips and stuff. But I feel like I'm always learning too, right? It's like, especially that I've changed careers from executive to, to writing uh, professionally. So at lovely Tony, please always please be humble and you're learning every single job you get, every single room you're in, learn from the people around you. I'm so fortunate to work with like some really awesome writers and some under some great showrunners that I've learned so much from and it's invaluable and it's great. So I hope I keep learning from people and doing stuff. As far as my goals, I love writing. Uh, uh, I know we didn't really, we talked more about my uh, animation writing than I, we'd have my kid lit career, but I sold the book and I hope to keep writing and selling books i'd love to sell yeah. another i sold a ya i'd love to sell a middle grade i'd love to sell a picture book god we should have talked about that because that's a whole other world too it's a whole other world yeah i mean this is this is, this is an animation this is an animation podcast oh well we'll bring you back yeah. we'll bring you back and we'll talk about that we'll, we'll see don't, don't, don't make any promises like if you get like dismal numbers on this like i understand you can you can cut me oh, we don't we don't we don't do this for the numbers <laughs> here's the executive of me being like i understand you can you can cut me you can have a hot time <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you've, you've got, you're so used to rejection. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I love to keep working in animation. I love, love, love working in animation. I love, again, I love the medium. I always have. Yeah, and I said, I'd love to sell this. I'd love to sell this animated series. I think it's, I love the characters so, so much. I want to share these characters, their dilemmas, their thoughts, their 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 plights with the world. I think um, a lot of kids would connect with them and there's, stories that they have that connect with kids that I really would love to get out there. So man, I hope it helps. I sell the show. It'd be great. That's my goal. I hope you do. Yeah, I hope so as well. I really want to see your pitch if that's cool. Well, I will send it to you after this recording. Let's just send it to everyone. Let's send it to everyone that's listening to this. I mean, look, I, 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 <laughs> let's just share yeah. it around. Hey, look, if every single studio says no to it and it's dead forever, then I'm definitely going <laughs> to post it up. Nice. For sure. Yeah. With, with, with Hans's permission, of course. <laughs> sure, sure. Cool. Well, that's the end of this creative block. Uh, Thanks to Brandon for being our guest and sharing his story. And thanks to our listeners. Follow us on Twitter, where we ask for drawing prompts and questions to ask our guests. Huge thanks to my sister Clemens for editing the podcast. She's doing great. Please subscribe to the channel if you love our content. I've been your host, Gene. And I was V. Keep being creative, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.